Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Put us in, coach. We're ready to play. Welcome to The Sporting Record here on 855am 3CR, Radical Radio. Today, The Sporting Record is going to be playing an interview we did with Alex Saundry. Alex Saundry is one of the leading figures in women's sport in this country, with her experience as both an AFLW player and a player manager separating her from the pack. So she was drafted to the GWS Giants in the first AFLW season in this country. She has since gone from strength to strength, establishing the management company More Than Management in 2018, adding some of Australia's best sporting talent to her stable and continuing to push women's sports to new heights. So today, James, John and Em are talking to Alex Saundry about her journey through Australia's sporting landscape as a player and as a manager. Before we get to the interview, we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation on land who we broadcast this program today and on which much of our local sport is played. We'd like to acknowledge their elders past and present. Enjoy. So when did you get involved in sports management and how did that happen? Um, I was at university. When I left school, I really wanted to be in sport, in executive level or um, in terms of sport because dad was in it from a racing capacity. But for me, it was just I wanted to be involved in the admin side of sport. So um, did my sports management degree, majored in marketing, and then um, knew I had to do an internship at the end of that and um, knew from when I started the degree I wanted to do that internship with Paul Connors, who's one of the best AFL men's players agents in the game. And um, was lucky enough in my last year of uni to, to get that internship with him and since then worked for him for five years and then um, and now I've had my own business. I left Connor's Sports with his blessing and his guidance and um, I'm actually catching up with him tomorrow um, and he's a still great mentor to me this day that, um, yeah, I've had the business now for five years too. What was it like kind of transitioning from being an athlete to being on the admin side of stuff? Was that difficult to start with, like not being out there or was it? yeah. It's a really good question, Em. I think that when I was – so I was in the job before I got drafted or taken up by the Giants. But at the same time, like when I went to Sydney, I was so entrenched in the club that I found it quite hard to balance that other role outside. Um, I was always a fringe player, so it didn't come to me naturally. So I had to do more extras than anyone else was doing to try and even get a game or, or be considered to, for selection. So for me, that I guess that aspiration but that commitment was so high and – I'm kind of someone that does everything at 110%. And when I came back to Sydney for my second season, that balance between the job and the playing was really difficult. But, you know, coming to the realisation that I could make a better impact in the admin side compared to the playing side, I could help provide better opportunities in the game. I could leave a better legacy in the admin side. That made it a little bit easier to transition. But don't get me wrong, when you see the girls in their pre-season on pre-season camp, starting training, getting the gear, getting the kit, the new kit, the fresh boots, that's when it really that's when it really hurts. But um, I was lucky to play VFLW at Essendon um, afterwards and three games in, did my shoulder and haven't played since. Uh-huh. So oh, no. um, yeah, that's one of those stories that I probably should have just given up when I retired. No. So anyway. <laughs> So 2017 was the first season of AFLW and you were involved in that. So looking at the upcoming season, how has it changed? 
Oh, it's, it's astronomically astronomically different. I think the hype in the first year was something that really stood out in comparison to every other year. But um, I think just the professionalism, um, it's, it's a business now. I think like the first couple of years you were you're happy to get a jumper. You were, ha- you were, you know, you felt privileged to be inside the club walls with training equipment, with balls, with free gears, people doing your washing, etc. But I think that now it's turning to professional like the, Girls and, and individuals that play the game deserve to be paid well. They deserve fair work conditions because they're bringing in different fans, different revenue. And and for me, it's um it's great to see the evolution of the medical programs, the coaching programs, the strength and conditioning programs. So the skill level's definitely better. The analytical side of the game's gone to another level. And for me, the commercialisation's also you know slowly getting there and and, and trying to keep up too. So if you sign up a young player tomorrow who's going to be drafted, uh, what do you do for them? What, what can you offer? It's a great question. We get that question a lot from parents for the, um, the individuals we're trying to bring onto our books and, and, and be with them for their career. At the start, for me, it's about getting to know the, the human being behind the, behind the current jersey they're wearing and to get to know the family. I think you can't manage someone if you don't know where they've come from, what they do or, or how they operate and, and particularly how they make decisions and how they make decisions, as we know, is inherently given to us and, and nurtured through our parents and how that environment at home is. So if you can understand that, you can start to help understand who they are, how they're going to fit in different environments. Um, so that's the biggest one for me, getting to know the human being. And then after that, it's providing them opportunities and resources to, to give themselves the best testing experience when it comes to the draft AFLW Combine. And then further to that, which I think where we would be the strongest in the country, the IP associated with what clubs are taking, what draft picks, where 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 people are going, what type of players they need, um, and giving families reassurance and, and information um, that's correct. I think there's a lot of incorrect information out there through media, through people that are trying to get into the agent space, um, through clubs that are trying to tell players what to do when they shouldn't be telling them what to do. So it's about giving that really reliable resource for the families during a really stressful time like it is a really stressful time like most families surround their weekends and their weeks around the one individual that's about to get drafted and a lot of that decision making you know gets taken out of their hands and where their where their daughter or or or, um or child is going to be to, to be drafted what type of um you mentioned before legacy and like the amount that you can contribute to women's sport now on the admin side, what does that look like to you? Like at the end of your career, like you're looking back, what what does that legacy look like for yeah. you? Yeah, um, Emily Smith actually just recently started working for us. She plays for Collingwood Football Club, but she's our head of cricket. Had a um, had a good cricket career, but is really really admired in that and and respected in the cricket space. She um, she uses the term of just leaving leaving the world in a better place than what you found it. Um, and I think that's what my legacy wants to be after, you know, doing a lot of reflecting in the past kind of three to four months. I was fortunate enough to go away for three weeks with my mum to, to Europe on travelling and I feel really grateful to have had that time and experience with her and we met Dad over there too and um, it gave me some time to kind of reflect and understand why I do what I do and why I love what I do. Um, and for me it's about leaving that world in a better place and leaving each individual's life in a better place because we've been part of it. Um, we're not in this game, you know, to make people millions and millions of dollars. We're here to make them – like I essentially want to help change their life and give them a really good opportunity to be the best version of themselves. You know, if I finish this business and it ends up, 
you know, being worth X amount of million, but I'm not happy and I don't feel proud. That'll mean nothing to me. Um, I've never been driven by the money generated out of the business. Everyone when I started the business told me I was mad and that I should just go get a stable job at a, at a football club. Um, but for me, it's about leaving people's lives and leaving the place of women's sport in, in multidisciplinary areas in a better place because we've been part of it and we've been part of pushing the narrative, creating change and, you know, that ruffles feathers. But if you if people don't ruffle feathers, you can never create change, in my opinion, in a respectful yeah. way with integrity, obviously, which we do. But, yeah, yeah that's my So it's more than just footy players you represent. Yeah, we've um, got a great cross-section of AFLW um, cricket, soccer, football, and I got called a, a, an expletive bogan um, the other day for calling it soccer, so I've got to call it football. Um, and netball and also some media talent that are got great calibre. So uh, for us it's about, you know, we, we could have stuck with AFLW, um, but at the time when we started the business there wasn't enough reassurance into to what W was going to be and there wasn't that across any sport. So for us I kind of looked into to, to cricket, I looked into netball and I looked into football, soccer um, and looked at those areas and, and realised the individuals and, and, and women and people through those um, codes and, and areas weren't actually being managed because they were in that code. It was either the the girlfriend of someone, the boyfriend of someone, the sister of someone or whatever, That they, that's the reason they were in that sport. And for me, we did it not because it was right, but we did it because what needed to be happen and give them the opportunity to be managed properly and to be given the resources they need to be the best version of themselves, both on and off the pitch, court, field, whatever you want to call it. Do you give them media training? Because you're bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think um, Dad would say I'm good at, uh, good at talking and, and my mum's a good talker too. So um, for me, I think it's just creating media training. You can do as much as, you, as much training as you like, right? But I think if you help the individual feel comfortable in who they are and support them in who they are, you can start to put them in different environments that help them gain resources, understanding, experience and confidence in who they are and what they're trying to achieve. Um, I'm a big believer in everyone's greater than just an AFLW player or greater than just a footballer or a netballer. They they are a human being at the end of the day. So if you can find what their story is, and I'm still finding out what my story is, right? So I think that I'm really confident that we do a great job and I think that's where the confidence when I'm able to speak about our players are our business or the vision that, that, that we're creating as an agency is, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. We just have a question over here from Jimmy on the panel. Question from the audience. From the audience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Jimmy said, a recent study found that for every dollar invested into sponsorship of women's sport, your return on investment is on average just over $7, which is obviously huge and speaks to the value of women's sport. In the work that you do, are you seeing businesses recognising that value um, and coming in more than ever? That's a great question, Jimmy. I think that we're starting to see great um, investment and uptake of companies to do that. It's a slow burn. Um, I still battle um, sometimes when I use different resources that the women's sport um, is harder. It's a hard burn. Um, a lot of people... Um, that work closely with me understand that I hustle day in, day out to find different opportunities for, for our people. And when you're working in men's sport, you get easy wins, right? They're easier. You don't have to pitch them in as hard. You don't have to find creative strategies. You don't need to do as much stuff to help them earn commercially. Um, I, uh, but 
to, to answer your direct question, I'm seeing businesses spend more in women's sport um, and some of that's to do with their end-of-year reporting and some of that's to do with a great desire to help change the game and support these young individuals, right? So I think, it, you know, for the companies that are doing what's right, if you look at Nike, Nike in Australia sells more athletic wear for females than they do for males and that's talking in two gender categories without, um, with, for the point of my um, discussion and they understand and have had a shift in their marketing dollars that they spend more in marketing now for female athletes and females than they do for males. So when you look at an international multi-billion dollar business in Nike doing that, well, I don't know what more proof um, national sporting organisations need to show that this is real and, and it's here. Um, we're going to keep fighting for it, um, but we'll have the right fights. We don't fight at every point. We don't normally fight too much, but we try to do things in different ways that, you know, slowly can drip feed through. But I, I agree with you. I think there's great value in it. Um, I've always seen the value and I think it's astronomically going up. But with them, with more money on the table, Jimmy, you get more people that are trying to be cowboys and cowgirls and trying to come in and take more money away from the people that deserve it most. And mm. these are the athletes that deserve it most. So um, we'll see how it goes and see how it progresses. But yeah, I'm really keen to be part of the roller coaster journey that it's going to be. You're listening to The Sporting Record here on 3CR, 855 AM, Radical Radio. It's just past quarter past four here on Thursday, and you are listening to our interview with More Than Management founder and past AFLW player, Alex Saundry. I'm from New South Wales, so growing up, footy there was NRL. Now living here and seeing AFLW take off and, like, when the NRLW was introduced, seeing the differences in, like, the way they even market the the game from a management perspective of certain codes is are there codes that are easier to deal with because they're realising the potential investment more than others? Yeah, I definitely think um, particularly in, in AFLW there's there's large investment, right, commercially and then from a players' perspective. When you look at, like, you compare A-League women's and then AFLW, the A-League women's um, people that are playing in that league aren't getting paid anywhere near what the AFLW people have been playing, yet they play more games, they have to travel more, they have to give up more, they have to move more, etc. So you're seeing a large investment here, but I also look at the NRLW and, you know, I've, I went and did my NRL... Um, license and I still haven't found the right athletes that I want to rely on with yet we still invest in the space but to to answer your question I, I probably observe and because I'm not in NRLW this could be a really naive naive and unjustified comment but I feel like the in NRLW the men fight for the women so they're really united right whereas here I'm not sure they're as united as they are in NRL cricket and in soccer um and that's an observation, but um, through the Players Association of, of NRL, like you see them really bound together and support each other and tweet about each other and do all that. Whereas AFLW and AFL are, are there, are thereabouts, but I truly believe there's a bond and that might be in cricket because some of the men date the women and then in NRL because some of the men date the women there too, whereas there's probably a competitiveness in AFL that oh, the boys don't want to give up some of their pie, which they're actually not giving up because the pie's getting bigger. Mm. So I think in that, it's how you position that to each each of the codes in terms of AFL and AFLW to ensure that 
they give the best, but how they market it, I think it's different because I think it's a different core audience too, yeah. um, which you would understand coming from New South Wales that, you know, when you read the paper, it's not AFL or AFLW, it's NRL. So yeah. um, I found that quite wild coming from Melbourne, but um, I just think how good is it to see on the front and back page of the Herald Sun, the Matildas and Hayley Rasso on Tuesday morning. Yeah. Was it Tuesday morning? It was Monday night the game. Tuesday night the it game. It was Monday. Yeah, Monday night. Yeah, so yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday morning's morning. paper was yeah. just like unreal, right? Yeah. And half of the age was Buddy Franklin's retirement. Like he strategically definitely retired on the <laughs> yeah. Monday so he didn't get any press. He's a, he's a smart well, man. Well, yeah, absolutely. Also, I um, I tend to really agree with the observational comment that I think that's – Something that I've just personally been felt like I was observing without, you know, really being validated by anyone. But I think I find that comment about the men and women in other codes seemingly more united for each other somehow, more so than AFLW. And I'm just, yeah, fascinated that you've noticed that as well. Cause Is it, it might be it's because it's an international game and there's bigger opportunities overseas. Yeah. And the, but but I'm, AFL's... Wondering, I'm wondering if it's because the seasons are separated. So I think of the Essendon Solar Centre up there in Tullamarine. They're, they're using the same facilities and they're in the same building. But I guess because the AFLW season starts so late, mm. are they not mixing? Is that what's not happening? I think some clubs are integrating really well and then some others, they their management don't see the value of women. And that's just what we've been notoriously brought up with. So I think there's some clubs that are doing it really well and, and, and some clubs aren't. I'm not, I'm not the one to tell what clubs are and aren't because I'm not inside those four walls. But you can definitely... You definitely get feedback from players when they move clubs around. Mm, oh God, they mm. were, you know, unbelievably better than where I was at, etc. So, what needs to happen with the AFLW then, that, uh, regarding the season and the length of the season and the timing of the seasons and all of that? Oh, I think that it's for me. I don't have the metrics and numbers to make those decisions, but I think what needs to have an understanding is when you're making decisions, the women's game AFLW is different to the men's game. So use different metrics. Don't just rely on the same metrics the men have used for broadcast deals and broadcast rights and pays and CBAs. Just because we've used them for the men doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. Just because the men's way is marketed in a certain way doesn't mean it's going to work for the women and the, and the fans that the women and um, the people bring in there. So I think for me it's about understanding what the benefits are and then leaning into them and understanding, okay, from these benefits and what that code's really good at, how much revenue can you generate and how much fan experience can you connect back in with that? Fantastic. I managed to wrangle a mic. It's Jimmy here. How you going, everybody at home? Uh, your your head's in the women's uh, sport category, probably more than most of the people we get to talk to. And so I just wanted to ask on a broad um, level, some people are saying we're in a bit of a moment right now for women's sport. We've got the Women's World Cup and it's going from strength to strength. They're projecting like 2 billion viewership around the world, something crazy like that, which is amazing. We've got the Women's uh, Netball World Cup going on at the moment. We just had the Tour de France Femme that happened with great success. AFLW season's coming up. There's a lot of hype. People are saying this could be really important, you know, culturally. Just from your perspective, how do you see the next, or well, this month playing out, the next month, uh, in terms of... Uh, culture and all that stuff, how is it playing out in your eyes? Yeah, I think that it's a, it's a great question, Jimmy. I think for me it's about understanding that don't make it a sugar hit. Don't make this moment in time. It's a moment. So how, how much can we prolong this moment to be the eternity, right? So I think, you know, the uh, head of FIFA said this is the best Women's World Cup in the world. 
football round ball soccer isn't a traditional sport in Australia, right? There's huge participation, but it quite drops off later for NRL, AFL, netball, etc. So for me, it's it's about understanding what great marketing, great investment, and great advertising does when you give the sport or the individual the proper platform to perform. And when you do that and you invest great dollars into it, you get a great return. You look at the – and that's not just for the Matildas. So, you know, we've got a great supporter base for the Matildas, but you look at the games that, you know, Brazil, Canada, Nigeria and all these other countries are playing. They've got great fans and great uptake. So you give people sport in good stadiums with good atmosphere and good entertainment, people will come. But if they don't know about it and you put it with – you clash that sport with 10 other matches that are on the day, they're not going to come. Don't oversaturate them. But give them the opportunity in the right area at the right ticket price – to come you know we bought um I'm taking the team up to Sydney on Monday to watch the Matildas game Monday night we couldn't get a ticket we work in the industry we couldn't get a ticket for the first few games so we predicted they were going to finish top of the table so we bought six tickets six tickets are 20 bucks each happy to do it any day of the week right but when you know I bought a ticket for the men's basketball um for the boomers that are playing on Monday the 14th um with one of my clients who's a mad basketball supporter that are a hundred they were they were 250 bucks each. And I'm going, far out. You know, and I'm going because I think it'll be a great, great thing and Australia's playing, but far out. When you, when you make it hard and hard, you know, income, income levels aren't great, cost of living's going up, lean into that. Lean into more people there are going to buy more things from the candy store, from the food store, and, and the marketing and advertising will take care of itself. I don't know if that really answered your question, but anyway. Fantastic. <laughs> I can ramble. If you were um, uh, a young kid, young girl who's looking to get into elite level sport and looking for management, you know, what's your advice for a kid? Know why you want a manager. Mm. Understand yes. why that person can support you and then have conversations and interviews for that. Don't, don't have conversations and interviews with 5 million people because it boosts your ego. Have conversations because you feel like that individual that you will bring on your team and most managers are with people for their entire career. Um, and I think for me, it's about finding that person that you feel like you can trust, build a relationship with and can impact your career. That's why you're getting a manager. You're not getting one for your ego. You're getting one to impact your career. Yeah. So why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you want her dad to be her manager? Emotion. Unrealistic <laughs> expectations. Um, unrealistic understanding of the industry and protecting their daughter or... Um, or child from understanding what like, clubs really think of her, organisations really think of her, and, and being able to portray that information and pass on that information with great respect. Um, but also the facts, it's a business. Mm. And if you and if the person representing you stuffs up your identity or stuffs up or makes mistakes in terms of how they represent you, it can really impact your, your ability to get a contract at a club or scale the contract at a club. I uh, <laughs> went to the... Game Essendon and Hawthorne first match yep. last season at Marvel Stadium, and the biggest thrill for me was hearing at the start of the game the Essendon theme song, uh, with slight word changes to make it appropriate. Uh, our boys who play this great old game, I guess they mm-hmm. had to change it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was female singers singing it. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? You know, they got rid of the old fable singers and uh, brought in a whole new vocal track. Yeah, I'd love to see one theme song for both, uh, like, gendered codes. Um, 
because I think, you know, I'm really fortunate to manage uh, an individual like Darcy Vessi or an individual like Bryony Dawson who identifies non-binary. So I would love to – I think it's fantastic for the purpose of what they're doing in the change and the notoriety in terms of marketing and media and commercial, but I'd love to see the one theme song so when either team sings it, it's united and it's one club. Um, on the topic of non-binary athletes, also non-binary here, um, I find it interesting – I played – for just a season for Western Bulldogs last year in the VFLW, which was amazing. It was a great time. But it was fascinating how gendered everything was, like going from mugs who are really keen on having um, gender-neutral language and being as inclusive as possible to a space where – and speaking to some of the coaches, it was really fascinating because their side of it was, you know, it's been a long time coming of being able to use very gendered language – in a professional sporting environment, particularly footy. But do you see how, especially with a lot of trans athletes being under a lot of like attack and hate and being excluded from elite level sport, how do you see, like, how can you best support like trans and gender diverse athletes, especially when the higher you go, the more in elite sport, the more gendered everything is. And Totally. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Em. I think for me it's about listening to the individual, understanding their story, um, their position, and then nurturing them through that process with great respect. Um, The other day I got really across, there was this one male in an email that kept coming back for Bryony and kept saying she, her, and I literally, every email would write their name and their pronouns next to it in brackets. And I called Bryony and I was was really angry um, because I'm really protective over my clients. And Bryony goes... They're not the type of people that we can change, unfortunately. Mm. So I think it's understanding where you can change people and help educate. I think educate's the really key word. Um, And keep doing it in a way that you make – you're not trying to – I don't think trans or non-binary people should try and make the audience feel comfortable. Mm. I think the audience need to make them feel comfortable because the audience technically and, and, and normally make that individual feel like the minority. And the one that's different. Whereas why can't we be the different ones? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like I think that I kind of challenge it in a different way and kind of look at it and go, well, unfortunately, like people are always going to have difference of opinion. But for me, it's about being kind about everything that you do. Um, I'm different to the individual beside me. I'm different to the people I grew up with. Um, but I think for me it's creating safe spaces and safe environments but being able to give you the best opportunity to the whole team to succeed. Um, and that's not making one individual feel excluded, but included. So mm-hmm. if there needs to be a shift in language, then that – I think the education's really key. Um, you know, I think everyone mucks up time to time and, and falls on their words, which is totally respectable and forgivable if you're trying. Mm. But if you're not trying and you're completely ignorant and you're an asshole about it, well, you can get stuffed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I fully agree with that as well. I think a lot of people really um, get stressed about making a mistake and that's never the issue. Like everyone makes mistakes, everyone stuffs up, but it's the it's the trying. I also really liked what you said about it's not on trans and gender diverse athletes to make other people feel comfortable. 100%. That, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a big point. one. Yeah, because I think that it is on them to make people feel more comfortable about situations and and whatnot. When it's not, mm. it's not their role. It's our role because our role is to support people who feel like the minority to feel like they're in the majority and part of the majority. And um, for me, like 
uh, I felt I feel really privileged to be part of Darcy Vesio's career, right? And I think that they're an incredible human being and got an incredible platform to do that. But I remember they, I remember someone came to me when their story was was public and asked, "Oh, can we use this video and put our logo on it and amplify it?" I said, "You can absolutely get stuffed because it's not a commercial moment; it's mm. an individual's moment where they've felt safe enough to share their story. Mm. So you wanting to commercialize that is." your problem Mm. it's actually not what the reality should be of that situation and that made me quite angry because people all of a sudden saw the value and got i'm going to put a price tag on it yeah because you know we can get great marketing out of this it's like no no that's an individual story that they're sharing in a really vulnerable moment that was alex saundry former aflw player and founder of player management company more than management You've been listening to The Sporting Record. This has been James, M, and John. Hope you've had a great week and we'll catch you next time.